Welcome to The Sober Unicorn. We are a gay-hosted, all-inclusive podcast about sobriety and addiction recovery for the LGBT plus community and all of our allies. I'm your host, Holden, and thank you for joining us today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Sober Unicorn. This is Holden, and I am an alcoholic. If you listen to part one, of the episode one, it talks about what led up to my drinking, um, how it progressed throughout my life. And when it was finally that turning point of admitting that I needed help. So we'll then cut into the first night of me stepping into the 12 step program. My friend that was supposed to meet me there did not, which is okay. So I stepped into the rooms, very nervous, very anxious. All I could think about was, oh my God, I'd prefer to be drinking than being here. And I sat there for the entire hour. It was a 10 to 11 o'clock meeting and everybody had to discuss on the higher power. Everybody was talking about God and how he helped them quit drinking and, and so forth. And for me, I had a lot of built up prejudice from my past and in the church. I was in the church around the age of 16. And when the rumors of me started going around that I was gay, my pa- my preacher pastor came up to me and was like, are you gay? And I was like, no, of course not. And he's like, well, just, you know, if you are, you're going to hell. And that completely pulled me out of the church because he stopped letting me be part of the church choir. I was no longer able to teach Sunday school for the younger kids. So hearing those in that 12 step meeting, it really made me want to pull away from it. I mean, I wasn't even able to admit at this time that I was an alcoholic and After the meeting was done, I was like, this is definitely going to be my first and last meeting. I actually had no plans on even returning after that evening until, for anonymity purposes, I'll just give his first initial right now, a gentleman by the name of A. He pulled me aside and read me a few passages out of the big book, which I don't remember, honestly, right now exactly which passages he read. But it was about how the doctor's opinion defines an alcoholic. And I still, deep down, did not want to swallow my pride enough to admit that that's where I was. So, for, but for his acceptance and his understanding, and outside I was smoking, and about two to three other people came up to me, introduced themselves, and another queer person actually came up, and I was like, oh my god, I'm so happy that you're here, another queer individual in the rooms, gave me a huge hug, and I was like, he's like, I really hope to see you again. And whether I was able to concede that I was an alcoholic, it was truly, I truly felt accepted. Something that I've wanted to feel for a long time from our community, from family. And my family accepted that I was gay, my my mother and everything. But I'm talking about like just full acceptance, no matter who I am as a person, that they just didn't care. That they just accepted me of who I was. And when people of all these walks of different lives introduced themselves to me, they made sure that I knew that I would be accepted in these rooms. Even though at this time, a lot of their stories were about legal problems, rehabs, treatment centers, and I never experienced any of that. So I was like, well, I must not be an alcoholic because I never got in legal trouble. I must not be an alcoholic because... I didn't have to go to rehab. Well, now I understand that it's it's a whole yet situation. 
I didn't go to rehab yet. I didn't get a DUI yet. Because I know for a fact that if I kept going on the way I was going, that wasn't that far away. It just hadn't happened yet for me. And there are reasons that I feel like that that just didn't happen for me. Um, from For one, I think it's God now. So for about a week, I went back to those rooms and it was right around Halloween party night that I went to a different program. I mean, a different room. They were doing a Halloween party. There was a DJ there. It was supposed to be a huge Halloween party for people of sobriety to go to and not have to worry about having any drinks around. So I thought to myself, okay, I can go to this, learn how to have fun and just see people having fun while being sober. So I walk into the room and get welcomed by a female that had been in the previous room for me. And she's like, oh my God, I'm so happy that you're here. It's so good to see you. And <clears throat> I was there for, I was about 15 minutes. I mean, it was not long at all because I was sitting there seeing other people having fun, just completely down on myself about, oh my God, what I want to drink. It's Halloween night. What the fuck am I doing here on Halloween night? Not drinking. So, I had to leave. <clears throat> Unfortunately, it was the fact that I did not think that I could have fun without having that drink in my hand. And leaving there, I broke down. Because it came flooding in that for almost five years of my life, I had lost myself. Because I did not know how to have fun without having that drink and I was like holy crap like if I cannot have fun or don't think I can have fun because I don't have this liquor in my hands then like bippity boppity boop like I'm an alcoholic and it like made I finally swallowed my pride and so I went to back to my home group and was about 10 minutes late into that meeting which was okay of course and I finally said, like, I am Holden and I'm an alcoholic. And when I said that, a sense of release came over me. Because I finally was able to take that step one of powerlessness. And fully understand that I truly was an alcoholic. So about a week had passed and I hadn't received, a, I hadn't gotten a sponsor at this point. And my coworker is for almost 14 years in. Congrats to him. He was like, oh, have you not gotten a sponsor? I was like, not yet. Like, nobody's approached me. And in my mind, I wanted this, like, weird connecting eyes, magical moment that was like, ooh, you're my sponsor. Yes. But in reality, that's not how it works. <laughs> um, so my coworker was like, you go to work tonight. I mean, you go to the meeting tonight and you raise your hand and say, my name is Holden, I'm an alcoholic, and I am looking for a sponsor. And that is not something I want to do because, again, that is swallowing your pride, admitting defeat, powerlessness, and admitting that you need help. So that's what I did. And I, I go to the meeting that night, I said it, and nobody said anything. So I was like, oh, great. Nobody in this room wants to take on a gay man. So 
the meeting ended. And I'm just going to call him sponsor right now because I, for anonymity purposes. So sponsor said, hey, Holden, come here real quick. We sat down and he kind of laid it out on the table, kind of some, a little bit of his, his experiences. And he finally said, he's like, I want to help you work through this. And crazy enough, I was like, I would love for you that. I mean, him and I hadn't had much of a built relationship by this point. So I said, I'm happy to take you on as my sponsor, but you are on a trial basis. He looked at me deer straight up, like in headlights. And I said, for real, the thing is with my lifestyle, with him being a heterosexual male family man, like I didn't think that he would have anything in common with me. So I said, you're on a trial basis to make sure that this is a good fit for us. And he, he accepted that. So finally, he was like, all right, fine. So we met up and I, and I told him my concerns. I said, I still don't think I'm an alcoholic, like to the core of the other people in this room. Because like I said, a lot of these other people had experienced rehab and legal issues. And I had not had any of that. So I was like, well, if I'm not that bad, then I must not be. So he, he kind of broke it down. He's like, all right, if you go to the bar right now, he's like, let's try some controlled drinking. He goes, if you go to the bar right now, he goes, have two beers and be done. I looked at him like, are you like MFR? Are you crazy? Like, there's no way I'm going to have two beers and not drink. And he's like, hmm, interesting. Like, if you are not able to sit there and have just one drink and put it down. He goes, why can't you put it down? I said, because the more, like, the more I drink, the more I become thirsty for it. And he's like, well, then you probably, he's like, well, sir, he's like, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're an alcoholic. And I was like, well, great. Um, another thing to add to my issues, um, another thing to add to my issues of insecurities. Well, so we took on and we started going through the process. And when it came to step two, I know that there is a higher power greater than me. That is for a fact. Um, I don't know at that time if it was the universe, if it was God. I mean, I don't know what it was. And I feel I was going to get stuck on that step two. And he's like, no. He's like, all you have to do is admit that there's something bigger. And then he's like, are you willing to like let that control over to him for step three? And I said, no, because I'm a control freak. Like, there's only one instance in my life that I normally try to give up control, and that's in the bedroom. And so I didn't want to fully give up that control and admit that I couldn't have control over something in my life. And so maybe three to four days went by, and I had went to a bar. And I did not order anything. I just sat at the bar, and I said, okay, can I do this? And I lasted... Uh, I would say 10, 10, 10 to 20 minutes. And I had to go because the want and need for a drink became so overwhelming that I could not even try to enjoy myself there. So I left, told the room the next night, and I, of course, got lit into by somebody, which is okay. Just saying, you were in early sobriety. I was maybe a week and a half to two weeks at this point. Don't go to the bar. And it's, 
it's play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And I, I understood that because I've done some stupid stuff in my life. Just like driving home blacked out. That's a stupid game to play because guess what? If I would have gotten caught, I would have won the stupid prizes of getting license revoked, having to go to rehab, going to jail. And that is something that I don't want to experience and go through. And so the step three came back around. And my sponsor finally was like, are you willing to let go? And I said, yes. So he moved forward to step four after the third step prayer. And step four was difficult. Um, I harbored due to my past a lot of hatred and resentments towards people and a lot of wrongdoings in my alcohol addiction of using men to pay for things to fuel that addiction because well if I get to travel to Florida or Vegas or New York as long as they covered my hotel cost I could sit here and get drunk even more and so I took that to my advantage of traveling I mean I've traveled so much on other people's dimes because of that and so step four was was very hard um it brought up a lot of my past that I did not want to remember that I did not want to talk about, especially to a stranger that had barely even knew who I was. And finally it came to step five. I got through step four in about 48 hours because I did not want to get stuck on it. So I just let it all out at work one day, got it all down. And we went through step five and a sense of ease came over me because even though all I was doing right now was telling him and God, my higher power, admitting it to somebody, another person, it was incredibly overwhelming to me. It was, it was this huge sense of relief because I finally just let all this stuff that I'd been harboring down out. Um, so step six came and I was like, oh God. Heaven forbid, because we did not leave that home group until about 1230. I had to be at work at 6 a.m. the next day or awake at 6 a.m. And he goes, all right, you go home for one hour and you you meditate. And I was like, oh, no, sir. Like, I'll do that tomorrow. Not a problem. Like, sorry about it, but not sorry. And he's like, nah, like you're going home. You're meditating now. Like you told me from the get go that you will do everything you need to get what we have. And I said, okay, I did say that. And I am a man of my word for the most part. So I went home, sat for an hour, and I wrote a very long letter to myself on why I drank, about the self-hatred, the self-pity, the lack of self-esteem, the the thought of not being wanted, not being loved, not being good enough. It it all just kept coming out on paper during step six in that hour's time. And it was good because I was able to finally understand why I just couldn't be happy with myself. Because I allowed my head to create these false, like, false things, what other people were thinking about me. Like, my relationship didn't work out, not because of me, but because of him. Like, he had issues with my weight. I didn't have issues with my weight at that time. Um, the second relationship with the gentleman of Fort Worth, like, that just didn't work out because we just weren't men. I mean, there was, 
there was no specific um, infidelity or anything like that that caused that to break. But when it came to any other guy I dated and the lack of commitment, I was all in. And it was the fact that they had a problem with it. So it's like, you know what? As long as, like my sponsor tells me, as long as I keep my side of the sidewalk clean, my side of the street, I can't control the other side. So if I keep my side of the street, I can go to bed with a good conscience. So I am still two months in learning to love myself and accept myself for who I am and not allow what other people think of me, not be a people pleaser, not allowing the stigmas of other people weigh on me and misconstrued what I think of myself like I have for the past 20 years of my life. And so step seven came, this seven step prayer. And people in the rooms discuss what they call a burning bush moment where they have this huge spiritual awakening. And yes, I still had my doubts about spirituality um, and God and or even a higher power, whatever conception you want to have. I still had my my doubts about it until I said that seven step prayer. At that moment, a wave came over me. And all I thought to myself was, oh, MAGA, what is in that AA coffee? Because it felt like I was high. It was an intense, indescribable feeling. And then all of a sudden when I was done and that was over, it lasted for a good 45 seconds. I felt at peace and I felt serenity and I felt serene and I felt okay and I slept very well that night, might I add. Um, and I woke up the next morning, lack of sleep, even with lack of sleep, I woke up refreshed, ready to handle the day and just ready to go. <clears throat> step eight and step nine, I continue to do. Um, step eight, my sponsor, of course, while going through my list and step four, he wrote my, my names down. And step nine, I have almost completed every resentment um, I mean, not every resentment, I'm sorry, every amends that I needed to. I, the only ones I have left are a few that I need to travel to, to make happen in San Antonio. And other than that, I am almost complete. There is a few people on my, my not amends, which is okay. Those are doors that I choose not to open, but my sponsor and my higher power know that it would be hurtful to me or that other individual to make those amends. Um, one of my most difficult amends that I didn't think I was going to be able to do was last night. And it was my grandmother, my father's side. She, for many years, just ridiculed my family and my father and my mother's choices and so on and affected me as a really young child when my father was going through his drug addiction and uh, jail time. And again, it never, like the lack of phone calls to me with my father going through everything, the lack of invites to family dinners started making me feel, again, unloved, uh, not not worthy of her love. And so that ate up inside of me and has traveled through my adulthood into, into my drinking. So I finally told her, like, even though it wasn't meant to because she was there for her son, um, even though he was as messed up as he was, that is still his mother and she has to be there for him. And so it made me understand why she did what she did and you know what I, for, I I forgive her I mean she had to be there for her child and I just I can't harbor that anymore um unfortunately 
Christmas time is probably, because this is being recorded Christmas Day. So Christmas time is probably not the best time to tell somebody that you still don't want any part of that family. <laughs> but it was, it's it's been burning up inside of me. And um, yesterday we had a meeting and the topic of the discussion was forgiveness. And I said, you know what, this is a sign for my higher power to, to um, make that amends, I feel. So I had to do it. I feel I was being guided that direction. And so that's what I did. So, so far, that is most of my experience in the in the program. I mean, I think throughout further episodes, when talking with other people, I will, there'll be other stuff that comes out. Um, but this, I just wanted to go through kind of like my step process and the experiences I had in each step. But I want to now talk about like what I feel what steps for me are the most important. Of course, every step in the 12 steps are incredibly important. Um, for me, step three is so detrimental. To, it was it was so detrimental to me. I mean, finally admitting to myself that I didn't have that control that I thought I've had for so long. Especially with my schedule, people are like, oh my God, how do you do this all? And I'm like, well, I, I, I just control it. But guess what? I don't control it. <laughs> And that's and that that need of control is what stressed me out to the point of consistently going to the bar and going to the bar to relieve that stress and relieve that anger that I had towards other people that would frustrate me during the day. So step three, step four through six, I would say. Of course, seven I did have my burning bush moment. I really did, but and made me truly feel connected with my higher power, but Steps four, five, and six allows things that you have harbored, well, that I harbored down for so long to finally just be let free. I mean, even though you're only telling this to you, another individual in your higher power, like, it finally lets you feel free. And then again, um, I feel step 12, reaching out to other alcoholics, service is so important. I've had a pleasure of already going into a rehab to speak to people that are in rehab, um, a treatment center. And I've also, um, I will be going this coming Tuesday as well. And it's just a blessing that I am given this opportunity to go into these centers and just talk to other alcoholics and drug addicts and, and let them know that there's hope because there is, I mean, even though your addiction of either alcohol or drugs may feel that it's it's so far in that you can't get out and you can't escape from it, there is there is hope. I mean, there truly is, and and I found hope through the twelve steps, and because my drinking was getting out of control, and for a year, I was just like, I need to stop. I knew I needed to, but I didn't know how. Because guess what? I'd already lost control at that point and I didn't know how to get it back. Um, and this 12 steps is kind of showing me I don't need to be in control. I just need to have reliance on my higher power. We discussed fear a couple days ago and it... Somebody in the room A, I'm gonna the gentleman A, he actually stated, if we live in fear, we are predicting the future already. Because fear is not in the present. Fear is what's gonna happen in the future. 
And if you live in fear, you're predicting the future and you're not playing God, not relying on him. And that had in, that had in such home with me because I fear failure so much, whether it's my job or school or this podcast or my business of photography and art. Like, I fear I record an episode of the podcast and I fear posting it that I'm going to get backlash or I hate or that just nobody's going to want to listen to it or I'm going to sound too effeminate, too masculine, too gay. I mean, there's so many different fears that I have going into this. But guess what? Right now, I, the reason I'm doing this is to be a service to others and show other people's, show other people that there is hope in their addiction and hope in getting out of that to live happy and free of that addiction. And whether there's going to be millions of people that judge, if there's that one or two person that this hits home with, then it is worth Every minute and dollar that I have spent putting into this. Because that's what we are needing is people in recovery. Helping others get recovered is our purpose. And it also helps our helps ourselves stay sober. So with that, I had finally conceded that I am an alcoholic. And I've, with the help of my sponsor and the fellowship, I have finally gotten connected with my higher power and have lost the prejudice because of religion because you have to understand that spirituality and religion are two different things religion is organized and spirituality through the 12 steps is about your own conception you can create your own god of who you want him to be and that meant so much to me because I didn't want a Christian God. I didn't want a Buddhist God. I didn't want, I didn't want any else, any, anybody else's God. I wanted my own. And I found him. And he's been very helpful to me. <laughs> very helpful not ordering a drink at that bar that night. Not having a bad day at work. Not allowing people to stress me out to the point of wanting to drink. Yes, people frustrate me. I've, I've, I've worked on my road rage and... Just a quick prayer. If somebody irritates me, guess what? That person driving could be headed to a mom in a hospital. Could be headed to a wife having a baby. Could be sick, having a heart attack. We don't know what these other people around us are going through. And one biggest thing is that's their side of the street. And something you can't control. So I finally was able to give up that control and understand and fully concede to liquor and admit that I needed help. And I thankfully, I'm so happy that I found help through the, the 12 steps and through my people. Um, if you end up stepping into a room in a meeting and you get that newcomer packet, I tell people, use and abuse those phone numbers that you get in those rooms. Those phone numbers, until you have full reliance on your higher power, those phone numbers are what's going to help you keep sober. If you don't, if the first person doesn't answer, call the second, the third, the fourth, and so forth. Until you fully give yourself to your higher power, use and abuse those phone numbers. Because those are people with similar experiences. No matter what walk of life that they went through, they will share some similar experiences with you. And you will find those similarities and not focus on the differences. And they'll be able to talk you off that ledge of alcoholism or addiction. 
And with that, I'm going to go ahead and end this episode. And I look forward to um, having a few guests on my podcast in the next few weeks. And I hope everybody else in the future tunes in. Again, this my name is Holden, and I am an alcoholic, and this is The Sober Unicorn. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. Hit that follow button to be notified about new episodes every week. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram at The Sober Unicorn Podcast or on our website at thesoberunicornpodcast.com. There you will find our episodes as well as our very own sober-owned shop featuring products from small businesses that are sober-owned. And remember, everyone, don't be normal, be a unicorn, but better yet, be a sober unicorn. Sober Unicorn.